Welcome to Liz Collin Reports. On the podcast, a Twin Cities family shares their heartbreaking message against making marijuana legal in Minnesota. Heather Backus lost her son two summers ago. 21-year-old Randy Backus III took his own life suffering from cannabis-induced psychosis. Heather is kind enough to join me, wanting to warn other parents before it's too late, as bills are moving quickly through the DFL-controlled House and Senate in St. Paul to make recreational marijuana legal. Heather, thank you so much for, for being my guest on the podcast. Thanks for having me here, Liz. I think your story is beyond sad, but so eye-opening, I think, for, for parents. Um, if you could just start there, tell us about your son, the, the kind of kid that, that he was. It, again, the story, I think, is so relatable to so many of us. Yeah, so our son was the second of four children, and he was a very um, creative little soul. He liked art. He played Um, sports. You know, he was just a pretty normal kid. He did have ADHD and we did have him evaluated several times in his childhood prior to the age of 17. And so, you know, he was involved in sports. We went to church. We did all kinds of family activities, tried to do all the things that we should do to raise happy, healthy kids. And unfortunately, when he was 15, he started using marijuana with neighborhood kids that were a few years older. And I think he did it because he wanted social acceptance. And then with that, I think he was easily hooked. And it just started down the path of addiction that was bad for our family. And Heather, you've talked about this, but you're obviously never okay. No parent ever would be okay, uh, you know, when he starts using uh, marijuana at, at such a young age. But you really tried everything uh, to, to get him help. But but ex- explain that that journey a bit f- for people. Um, so when he was 15, of course, you know, it wasn't okay for us. We grew up in the 80s, so people did use marijuana in the 80s. And we just didn't want him to be a stoner or something like that that. So we would um, have consequences in place and we made it clear just due to addiction runs like in my family and in my husband's family. So it was something that we knew we wanted to make our kids aware of. And so we tried to talk to them about it and share the dangers. What we didn't know was that today's product is so much more potent and strong than what it used to be. And we didn't know all the consequences the use could have. That said, we always you know, had consequences in place for him, be it taking away his phone or taking away car privileges, whatever it might be to help him understand that that wasn't okay. But when it comes down to it, as much as we wanted to help him understand, once kids use, it is so strong that they are very easily hooked. And they're given this knowledge that because it's legal, it's safe and it's okay. And if they go on to a website like leafly.com or something like that, they see all the benefits of it rather than the reality and the science that shows that it's not safe for a developing brain. These concentrates, um, you, you know, you're talking about this, what, what was going on in the 70s and 80s, but this is really a completely different product that, that takes you uh, some time to discover, but you're actually seeing changes in his behavior uh, while, while he's using, right? Yes. And so with him, we had him tested many times when he was a child. And it wasn't until he started using that they added anxiety and depression to his diagnosis. Prior to that, it was just always ADHD, some mild dyslexia. And, you know, he had some executive functioning skills. But again, a lot of kids have those. But once they start using 
drugs, specifically marijuana, the way it reacts in the brain, it causes kind of a need and it creates this hamster wheel of anxiety and depression. And you have the, the THC uh, agent in the 80s and 90s is 2 to 5%, whereas today the concentrates of a vape or whatnot, all these things that, that we hear, 30 to 40 percent, even even higher, right, in, in some cases? Yeah. So the flower, if somebody is to smoke the flower, and I always kind of use an example of apples. So we've had apples forever, right? But it wasn't until um, botanists got involved and they created like Honeycrisp, First Crisp, uh, Tango, apples, all the different varieties. Well, they've kind of done the same thing with marijuana. So they've taken that marijuana plant, they've put it in perfect growing conditions. And what used to be one to 3% THC, the average flower that's grown contains 23% THC. Now they take the THC out of that flower and they create those concentrates. The dabs have a potency range of 60 to 99% THC, and the vape cartridges are anywhere from 40 to like 95% THC. So really... Wow, and again, it's something parents have no idea. No, parents don't. And the the crazy thing is, you know, we have people reaching out to us and their kids are using and we'll say, well, do you know what a dab is? And they don't. Um, And even when my son was using... I knew what dabbing was, but I didn't know that it was that highly potent. I knew the marijuana was stronger, but I didn't know the percentages. And so the consequence for the kids is that their brains are developing and that higher potent product comes in. It disrupts that brain development. So the younger they start using, how frequent they use and the potency really contribute to um, how, how affected their brain will be. So Randy moves uh, away. He he graduates from high school, moves to, to Colorado, and that's where you say he actually receives a medical marijuana card, and he grew just more and more paranoid uh, because of this marijuana usage. Just just explain that. It really, I mean, every parent's nightmare. Yeah. So when he, you know, adamantly, he really wanted to go to the University of Boulder, Colorado, and we suggested that he stick around here, do community college, maybe live outside the house. But that was his goal. So he moved out there. We encouraged him to get his residency, kind of see how things went. During that time, because he could get a medical card out there, he did apply. And it was very easy to get a medical card in Colorado at the time. Um, And so, you know, he did fairly well. That was the hard part is that he functioned pretty well and he was independent. He paid for his own living arrangements, an apartment. He had a full-time job. Um, he was responsible for everything except for his cell phone. That was pretty much the only thing we paid for. And, you know, he was using, but we didn't see evidence of the paranoia really until probably fall of 2019. That's when we saw first written evidence of it. The first actual evidence looking back now was um, probably... In that summer of 2020, he was talking about his roommate, and he really had it out for his roommate, but he could not really put his finger on why. He was worried about his roommate, but he couldn't tell me what that situation was. It was just a little odd, but that paranoia grew, and it factored into his job early 2021. So he immediately quit a job in fall of 2020 and then he got a different job and he immediately quit that one and all of that the quitting was due to paranoia so he perceived things that really just didn't weren't going on um but again we didn't know that that was what was going on with him and it was uh then his his suicide um after that were you able to put 
um, some of these pieces together. And it's easy to, to hear. And when you, you know, see his story that, of, of course, this this uh, marijuana use is what led to him taking his life. Yeah. So basically, you know, he had a full blown psychotic break in March of 2021. And you know, at that time, he called us and he was panicked and he was out running around in one, you know, pretty bad snowstorm in Denver. Um, and you know, he said that the mob was after him and that the FBI was listening to his phone. And he was he was really convinced that all of this was going on. Fast forward, we sent him to a treatment center at that time. He neglected to stay there because he spent four days in detox. He probably needed some sort of medication, but it wasn't given to him to help him through that process. He left treatment after just an hour. And because he was so addicted, he found someone right outside the treatment center that he got in the car with and smoked marijuana. And then he was much more calm and reasonable. And then fast forward, you know, he was really working hard because he wanted to quit, but he didn't want to go to treatment. He thought he could do it on his own. Um, we had him under the care of a psychiatrist and a psychologist, although we knew that was like a small little band-aid for a pretty big problem. It's what he was willing to do. So we were working with him on that. And thankfully, like in June, he was really positive. He was very appreciative. We were loving him from afar and trying to support. Um, and he seemed to be doing better, but obviously he wasn't. He had goals. So he had it on his bathroom mirror that, you know, 57 days hard than home. And that was dated 7-7 of 2021, meaning like he would be home uh, the end of August. And that was to promote his music because he thought he was going to be a rap star. So keep in mind, he had this grandiose delusional behavior that he was going to be a rap star. He had these goals and plans, but I do believe that eventually he probably heard voices and maybe they told him that this is what he needed to do. I'm really not sure. He did go to confession like the Tuesday before he took his life. And he did Google Jesus three times before he took his life. Um, so we have since learned so much. We have his journals, we have video evidence. Ironically, we have so much documentation of the last eight months of his life that it really gives us a clear picture. So on one hand, although it's very difficult to watch and very difficult to read, it really helps us understand where he was at and he wasn't well. And unfortunately, people are not aware of this, um, that it is a result of cannabis use. And um, that's what we hope to let people know, because had we known, we would have done things differently. Um, I don't know that our outcome would be different, but I definitely would have found a state that I could take him to and have him committed and, you know, see if we could get him healthy again. In a way, you would have known what you're you were up against, but there is the, this push in St. Paul to, to normalize yes. uh, all of this uh, moving through the House, one through the Senate, to, to make Minnesota the 21st state to legalize recreal, recreational marijuana. But do you think lawmakers really have a full grasp of, of what they're actually voting for? I do not, because I've been going in and meeting with representatives and senators and will ask them, you know, do you know what a dab is? And they don't. So I think lawmakers 
are somewhat under the belief that they're voting on what marijuana was in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. They don't know what the products today are because I think if they knew, they would think otherwise. And you'd hate to have this happen to anyone that you love or care about. The sad thing is, is it, it will happen once it becomes legal here. There's just too many people that are already suffering from it. And although we don't know that much about it here, the reason I found out was because I connected with a mom in Colorado um, because her story was published in People and a friend of mine sent it to me. And then I looked and I got connected with her group and I learned just a ton of information from that. And so they're seeing it out there and um, she's trying to educate people and professionals. I, I don't even think our medical community here is that well aware of it. Yes, yeah, so you have this bill written by the industry, mm-hmm. really, really. Uh, profiting off of uh, addiction um, and it has to just be so, you must just be so frustrated watching uh, these conversations at the Capitol. I applaud you. You and your husband have both been there doing all you can to, to shine a light uh, on this. What would you tell, though, um, you know, constituents, um, you know, how, what's, the, what's the best course of action? What can, what can people do? I would say the best thing people can do is reach out to their senator or their representative and um, oppose the bill and state why they oppose it. And you can send in a postcard. I have postcards. Um, There's easy links online. If you go and you try to look up who your senator or your representative is, all you have to do is plug in your uh, zip code and it will send up who your representative or senator is, and you can click on a link and you can send them an email. It's very easy. I've never been a person who's gotten active politically, but this is my first introduction really to this. And I've learned a lot, but I would say contact your representative and your senator and let them know that you're opposed to this bill. I thought it was interesting. The Minnesota Department of Health has now has some data after these hemp-derived THC edibles, this measure that went into effect July 1st. But there is this correlation to THC poisonings. Uh, The hospital treated cannabis poisonings, I think it was uh, from 115 in the second quarter, rather, than to 151 in the third quarter. But those numbers, uh, you know, they're real. You can't can't Mm -hmm. dispute that. And it's pretty easy to see that 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 will get worse should, um, you know, these these safeguards be taken away. Yes, that will get worse. And, and not only that, you know, the Delta 8 products that they're selling at your local gas station, uh, kids have easy access to it. And that has the same psychoactive effect on the brain and the same detrimental effect to the developing brain. So it's definitely something that we need to address as well. Your husband has said before that the irony is my son thought that marijuana was saving his life, and it took his life. Yeah, and that's the reality of it. And we, Our son, we had many arguments um, while he was living with us why he wanted to use it and why he thought it was beneficial. I wish he would have known the effects on the brain prior to even ever trying it, and I think had he known, because he was a fairly cautious individual, he may never have tried it just because he he would have known it was bad for his brain development. But that was never, ever communicated or anything you'd find on the Internet. Um, and that's where the kids are getting their information. Right. Uh, talk about your advocacy work, you know, and where can people 
people, parents go for, for more information on all um, of this? We just have started and we just actually got our website up. It's called Be Extraordinary, Be You. Our son sent me a song prior to his passing that he said he didn't want to die an ordinary man. And he wasn't ordinary by any means, but these kids are already suffering mental health issues right now, left and right. And our message to them is, you know, it takes an extraordinary person to just be yourself. And so we're encouraging kids, be extraordinary, just be yourself, love who you are. We're all created a little bit differently and uniquely, and that is meant to be, and that makes the world interesting and a better place. So um, that's our encouragement, but if people want to find out, they can go to Be Extraordinary, Be You, or they can email us at harmsofthc at gmail.com. Well, Heather Backus, thank you so much for, for all you're doing uh, to protect our kids. I know we greatly appreciate it, and, and well, good luck. Well, thank you so much, Liz, and thanks for your time. Thank you, Heather. And that will do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. We'll see you next time.